Hello and welcome back to Modern Animism, A Convoluted Guide. And once again, I am your podcast host, Sarah Jane. In the last episode, I wrote about how Mu culture has spread worldwide through Iran, Mongolia, Tibet, Korea, Japan, Russia, Persia and Turkey. We know this because the language utilised for shaman had only marginally changed over the last 9,000 years. Unfortunately, in our Western society, the practices that we know as the Abrahamic religions have interfered with the course of animism. And in this episode, I will run through some changes to the way traditional animism is practised. I have had the fortune to spend some time with nomadic tribes in Asia and the truth is that modern society has eroded the quality of life for people who live in a more traditional manner. If you imagine the matriarchal societies I mentioned in the previous podcast, which was entitled Neolithic Animism and Pyromancy, we notice that prior to the invention of the nuclear family, which is reputed to have happened 2,600 years BCE, prior to this society was matriarchal. And if my journeys with these nomadic tribes bear any relevance, it suggests that we're probably only looking at societies who avoided personal belongings in favour of group ownership. This explains the nomadic lifestyle and the lack of settlement People didn't own the land they lived on, so they had no routes to a specific space. They'd make use of facilities in the area they were in, then moved once the resources were used up. And from this we get a sense that all the belongings in the tribe had to be portable. There wasn't a sacred designated space for burial, and in lieu of this, human remains were taken and moved with the tribe. Now, when I happen to meet tribes that live communally and nomadically, and they don't believe in the personal ownership of property, so they owned nothing and just constructed themselves and then abandoned shelters as and when they required them. As such, the part of the religion that required them to live communally also forbade them from counting, so they had no words for numbers in the vocabulary. They didn't believe in ownership and therefore counting was a form of distribution, so it was a taboo subject. But this caused lots of issues. There was, in the case of land encroachment, and when they didn't own the land, there was often no money to buy medicines, and they didn't understand the difference in coinage. So if, for instance, they worked and they were paid in coinage, they were often exploited They'd often be out there working to gain money for medicines, but they didn't understand the relevance or the money and how much things were costing. So a fair exchange frequently wasn't offered to them in lieu of their work. And the only solution that could protect these tribes is to round them up into camps so they get access to modern medicine. But simultaneously educate these animistic tribes in literacy and numeracy that would enable them to be integrated into the surrounding society. 
but to do this would cost them their lifestyle and it would cost them their animistic beliefs and not that these people would become tied to a specifically piece of land and that they'd earn money and through these things learn about ownership and this would move them from communal living and communal ownership just for the sake of having belongings I'm reminded of items being aligned with specific people and just for the sake of improved healthcare which in my own country is just provided for free anyway but this reminds me in telling this the story reminds me of the longest and most established animistic tribe in Europe the Mari and they live in Mari L and they're a Finnic ethnic group in 11 98, Pope Innocent started Northern Crusades up into the Baltic to subjugate all of the remaining pagan and animistic tribes in a kind of power land grab. But the Mari's relatively remote location and lack of exploitable resources made them less prone to be subject to this kind of denouncement. And therefore, Mari have been worshipping in the one location continuously since the 4th century. They worship panatheistically approximately a hundred deities who are known as Juma and there's ten male in the upper pantheon members and they have ten female counterparts. For example, you have both a male and female god of fire or a male and female god of thunder. But one overall head god who's known as Kuma Juma, the great god of light. There is some sense of Hindu deity and it shows that Indian-Eurasian connection that um, gods from other traditions are incorporated as lesser deities. There's evidence of ancestor worship as well as lesser deities can often be mythological folk heroes or kings from previous generations who've been reimagined as gods as we saw in the Mu worship. My religion is always traditionally practiced in sacred oak groves. However, from the 17th century, when Finland and the Mariel was incorporated into Russia, until the 1993, Mari culture has been forcibly synthesized into Christian culture. This means that most of the Mari have been baptized as well as practicing as animists. And although their sacred groves still exist, most Mari rites now occur indoors inside a church like space in this act of cultural assimilation. This is due to they needed to reduce the number of observers who would view the activities being primitive and that would be detrimental to the religion so they're forced to bring it indoors. But the power of the pantheon of gods has been lessened as well. They've now got one specific god, the head god, which mimics Christianity, the Kumajuma. He's now known as the God of Light, where once he was worshipped as a creator god who took a duck form. The idea that, that um, the world was an egg that was laid. And the oak groves themselves have now been dedicated to Christian saints as holy places for Christian pilgrimage and as an act of that assimilation between the two cultures. Where once women might have been equal practitioners, Mononymous groups have also had to be politically astute in dealing with the public. This means the roles can no longer be offered to women and women become more marginalised. 
and this is about the surrounding society, not the practitioners themselves. They give training and educate women to school to a lesser degree. Therefore, there's a lack of support and education for women within society, and this has limited the roles they can play within the church. But since the 1990s, animism is becoming more practiced worldwide. There's been a real surge of practice and government support. In China, animism was previously banned under communism, but now been deemed acceptable again. Chinese animistic practices of rituals and ceremonies have become practiced once more. Temples that were reallocated for grain storage have been reopened as temples for ancestor worship. But rather than being acknowledged as a full religion, animism is labelled as a folk custom. Animist history is on display in museums and a folk craft. It's been associated with folklore or utilised to promote a Chinese cultural supremacy. In poor and rural communities, practitioners believe that previous misfortune they suffered under communism was because they lost touch with their folk traditions and stopped ancestor worship. It's important to note that the greatest impact on symbol women they may be ostracised because of their social positions, but the resurgence of animism has given them better opportunities. Contrary to this, in the Slavic countries, animism is undergoing a resurgence because of people returning to their homeland or sending money back home. We see that people who once persecuted under the Soviet state are now searching for a kind of reunification of their broken history through the medium of animism. Whereas previously animism was practiced by family groups or differ from location, these resurgence in neo-pagans has created a unified forms of animism without regional or family variations. And it's a form of animism that promotes a nationalist agenda, which we associate with neo-paganism. Through neo-paganism, we associate it with white supremacy. And in some countries, animism beliefs have become associated with racism and violence. And there's no real reason why animism has become more accessible and acceptable worldwide. It's just a form of zeitgeist that occurred somewhere after the First World War where even famous politicians like Winston Churchill became associated with Druidism. And even during the Second World War, here in Britain, magical and psychic groups were being utilised to stem the invasion from the axis of power and Nazi Germany. In the last podcast, I spoke about Mu culture and how the symbols from Mu as the two bones became reutilised in later traditions. On the front cover of the podcast, I've drawn the cost potent again, and this time it was utilised by the fascist group Fatherland Front. I remind you all of the emblems utilised by the Nazis of the swastika, which is also an early animistic emblem. Or the way that neo-Nazis, even the present day, have claimed the runic alphabet as evidence of their cultural supremacy. The emblems of power that we associate with animism are reutilised by racist and fascist groups to assume cultural authority. But when I think back to my visits with the nomadic people, 
I'm reminded that true original animism is based upon community sharing and community involvement. That true animists don't need the weight of cultural material. There's no necessity to have shrines or paraphernalia or a cultural identity. To presume these things are required is to look at a patriarchal system of ownership and the allocation of judicial and resources that we see in the later models of religion. For modern animists, it's more important to be involved in building communities than creating divisions. As I pointed out in the last section of modern animism, looking at quantum theory, modern animism is concerned with breaking perceptions. What we see or know is not the entirety of our existence. We shouldn't concern ourselves or get involved with intellectualism. Instead, we should consider the universe as a whole and stop being so planet or human-centric. In the next podcast, I'm going to look at nationalism again through the Forum of British Folklore, looking at modern morality tales, modern superstitions and the supernatural. Um, I'm going to move towards the supernatural, so I hope you'll rejoin us for that in the next podcast. And thank you for listening.